Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. you today Jesus oh there's no substitute for his presence for his blessing and for his goodness Jesus told his disciples in John 14 18 he said I will not leave you comfortless but I will come to you there are times in life that you need the comfort of the Holy Ghost and nothing else will do Hebrews 13 and 5 tells us he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. What an assurance or what a promise that is that if we're dancing on the mountaintop or if we're in the valley of the shadow of death, he's still the same. He's still going to care for us. He's still going to supply all of our needs. And what a great, big, wonderful God that we serve today. And it is a joy to be in the house of the Lord on a Wednesday night. Appreciate all of you taking time to be in the sanctuary of the Lord. And so we give honor to Pastor and Sister Boyd. I love them dearly. And we do remember the Bird family during this uh, time of tragedy and sorrow. Uh, it's in these times that you realize how much you need God. I can't live without him. I can't function without him. I can't go one day without him in my life. And so we're going to continue to lift them up before the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open and read from the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 4. And we're going to begin at verse number 1. And we're going to read these first two verses of Scripture of Nehemiah, chapter 4. I do want to say how much I appreciate my lovely wife and son and their dedication to the work of the kingdom of God. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse number 1, and the Bible tells us this. It says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Here this adversary is speaking before the people of God. And he's asking them, questions. He's antagonizing them. He said, will they be able to fortify themselves? What will they have to sacrifice? What's the end going to be? But then his last question went like this, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish? 
And that's what I want to speak to us on tonight, this subject, revival out of rubbish. Revival out of rubbish. Can we lift our hands? Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we feel your presence already in this place. God, now we are asking for you to anoint this word of the Lord. God, let it encourage and inspire. Let it minister and let it speak to each and every one that's gathered in this hallowed place. God, we give you all glory. And we know you alone have all power in heaven and in earth. And God, we pray let this word do what it was designed to do. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, there are many times in my life that I just have to sit back and all in amazement because of how good God has been to me. Sometimes we get caught up with the hustle and bustle of life, but if you really begin to consider every prayer that God has answered and every need that He has supplied, every blessing that He has ever given, it just makes me think of the old songwriter that said, When I think of the goodness of Jesus... And all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise God for saving me. And then, yet still, to think about who I used to be, the actions that I've taken, the words that I've spoken, the thoughts that have went through my mind, and yet God still cares for me, and he still cares for you. It's really quite remarkable to know that he is aware of every skeleton in our closet, and yet he loves us still. And when we read our Bible, we flip through the pages of the Scripture, we see over and over again the Lord using people that battled insecurities. He chose people that had a hard time comprehending that God wanted them for His plan and for His purpose. Uh, think with me for a moment, but God called Jeremiah when he was young, but then turned around and called Abraham when he was old. He chose Martha who worried and then chose Gideon who was afraid. He used Jacob who was a cheater and then used David who was a murderer. He spoke through Moses who stuttered and then spoke through Peter who cussed. We see something, a common theme being played out. God loves to take a person with problems and an individual with issues. And he can take somebody with self-doubt and he can bring them out of the heaps of the rubbish of sin and create something beautiful and amazing. Uh, to know that God sees beyond our faults and our flaws and our failures. And yet he sees our potential and our possibility and our promise. To know that God has seen every step that we've ever taken. He knows every mistake that we've ever made. He's aware of every sin we've ever committed. And yet he sees something inside of us. 
that he's willing to reach and to pour into our souls. And it's what leads us here to this book of Nehemiah. At the very beginning of this book, it tells us that Nehemiah was in the palace. He was serving. His official title was cupbearer to the king. That's not really a title that you hear much nowadays. And so uh, you really have to look back into history to see what his job really entailed. Nehemiah was really a confidant of the king. He would go with him everywhere he went. He would make sure that he was protected and make sure that he would be clear of all danger. And so because of the king's responsibilities, he would have to go and uh, eat at special dinners with rulers and dignitaries. And so that when the king would sit down, he was fully aware that not every ruler and not every political leader was a fan of his. Huh? And so when he would sit down to dinner, there was always a possibility that his life would be in jeopardy. And oftentimes during the age of Nehemiah, they would try to poison the king through food and through drink. And so when the king would sit at this banquet table, and if there was any cause of concern, if there was any kind of worry that would come across his mind, he would turn to his cupbearer, and he would tell him to go ahead and drink this for me, and go ahead and eat it, and make sure that everything is fine. And I don't know if that's the job I want to sign up for or not. Uh, but you got to have a whole lot of confidence in your employer if that's what your responsibilities are. Huh? So Nehemiah was somebody who had the king's back, to say the least. He was willing to lay his life out on the line over and over again. Well, because of this, he got special treatment. You see him living where most Jews were not able to live. We see him in a career that many would wish they could be a part of. And so he's in the palace. He's removed, really, from society. He's not seeing the day-to-day -day actions of the people. He's not really knowing all that has taken place out in society. And so he's walking through the palace just like he had done so many other times before. But on this particular day, there was a brother there who was the same lineage of him, a Jewish nationality. And Nehemiah saw him and stopped. And just in passing, it's almost like I can hear him saying it, not even meaning anything by it. He says, how's everybody back on the home front? And the man stands there in an awkward silence. Nehemiah is almost baffled because he's just looking at this man until finally uh, this Jewish brother begins to speak and says, Well, if you really want to know how everybody's doing back home, I'll just go ahead and tell you. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The gates are being burned with fire. The people have been displaced and all hope has been lost. 
And it was like a light bulb went off in Nehemiah's thoughts because he was so removed from everything else. He was so focused with his life and his responsibility that he was not aware of the pain that others were facing. Sometimes we have to be careful that we don't get so involved in our own lives that we forget about what other people are facing. It's not always what what's going on in our lives, but in others' lives, it's not like it is here. There's tragedy and hurt and heartbreak and setback and pain and division and war and racism and prejudice. And Nehemiah is removed from all of that. And when this man tells him what's going on, the Bible says Nehemiah just sits down and he begins to weep. And he begins to cry. And in that moment, Nehemiah just begins to repent. And I would have to say that I've been in the place of Nehemiah before. Times more than once where I lose my focus. I get caught up on the trivial things that really don't matter much. And I forget that there's people that are lost and are going to a devil's hell. I forget sometimes that there are people that are, don't have peace when they wake up in the morning. And they don't have joy when they go to bed at night. But throughout their day they are distressed and distraught. They are in anguish and agony because they don't have what we have. Nehemiah's in this palace and he's looking around at the marble floors and the pillars and, and the fine foods that he's been eating and the beautiful garments that he's wearing. And in that moment, God begins to put a burden on Nehemiah. And there's something about a burden from God. You can't shake it. You can't get rid of it. It doesn't disappear and it doesn't vanish. But when God begins to put a burden on you, you think about it when you wake up in the morning. You think about it when you go to bed at night. You think about it when you're driving in your car and you're seeing people walk down the road. You feel it when you're in the store and you see the people picking up the groceries. There's something about a burden from God. Nehemiah sees and understands now that the people are in trouble and he's got to do something about it. Sometimes people don't realize the situation they're in until it's too late. Huh? Not long ago I was reading some 911 transcripts. You know you got way too much time when you're reading 911 transcripts. Sometimes you get desperate. So I was reading it. There's one call that came in, and it caught my attention right out the gate. And it was a call that went to 911, and they asked what the emergency was. And it was a woman on the other end of the phone. and said, I need somebody to come and help me right now. And so the operator said, well, man, you need to explain what's happening and so I can relay the information. And she said, well, I would tell you, but I know you wouldn't believe me. She said, well, if you, if you don't tell me, I don't know what to tell the officers, and they're not going to know how to respond, so just go ahead and try me. I've heard a lot of things. And she said, well, the problem is this. There's an elephant in my house. There was a pause on the other end of the line. 
said, ma'am, I want to make sure I heard you correctly. But you said there's an elephant in your house. She said, I know this sounds crazy. It sounds like I'm making up a big story, but I am telling you the truth. My family and I are in this house, and the elephant is here, and we are fearful. The elephant has busted the floor and knocked down the walls, and we need somebody to help us and to help us right now. So the operator said, well, someone is coming very soon. It was just a few minutes after that that the fire rescue and the ambulance and the police showed up to this woman's house. And they heard this crazy commotion on the inside. So the arriving officer came in, knocked on the door, and finally busted in. And to his amazement, to his surprise, guess what was in the living room of this woman's house? A full-grown elephant. And so... Together they put a plan and they got the kids out and they got this woman out. The couch had been ripped up, the floor busted up, drywall, just a complete disaster. And They got this woman out into the front yard. By now the sirens are going off and the neighbors are watching, wondering what's happening. And finally they get this woman calmed down for a minute and the officer said, Ma'am, I need to ask you a question. How did an elephant get in your house? And she said, well, it wasn't that big when I bought him. Huh? He said, excuse me? She said, well, I saw an ad on Craigslist. You got watch going on Craigslist. And they were selling baby elephants. And I just had to go, and I had my kids with me. And when we saw it, for ourselves, we were completely surprised. These were the cutest little elephants, and they were selling them real reasonable. And so I decided, well, what's what could be the harm? I'm gonna go ahead and buy this elephant, and we could keep it in the garage. She said, well, we put it in the garage and we fed it. And well, my youngest son had the bright idea; he was gonna bring the elephant in and let him sleep in his room for the night. So we got him in, and one night turned to two nights, and I said, finally, that's enough. Get the elephant back in the garage. That's when the problem came, because we got it in the house, but it gotten so big we couldn't get it out of the house. And when I read that line, I thought to myself, sometimes we have to be careful what we bring into the house. It can seem real cute. It can seem real innocent. It can seem real entertaining to the kids. But if you're not careful, if you feed something long enough, it doesn't always stay cute and cuddly. It can turn into a disaster like you've never imagined. Because they brought it in, but then they couldn't get it out. That's what happened to the children of Israel in Nehemiah's day. They started out blessed. They started out walking in favor, walking under the goodness of the Lord. But they start allowing little sins in. And little sins turn to big sins. And before you know it, they're not even walking with God anymore. Their life is in turmoil. The city's turned upside down, and it is a disaster like none other. This is where Nehemiah comes in because he remembers it as the, the golden age. 
He remembers uh, walking with abundance and walking in the favor of God. But now they tell him, Nehemiah, it's not like it used to be. Uh, it's divided now. There's no riches anymore. There's no more beautiful buildings and glorious sanctuaries. And it's all turned and it's turned ugly. So Nehemiah is trying to go through his day. and He's trying to serve in the palace. and He's trying to perform his responsibilities. And yet the king sees him and says, Nehemiah, there's something wrong with you. Why is your countenance sad? And he said, King, I'm grateful for everything you've done for me. I'm thankful that I've got a good job. I'm thankful that I can live in the palace. I'm thankful I can travel to other nations. But I just can't be happy if I know my people are in such bondage. I just can't put a smile on my face and act like I'm not bothered at all if I know that back home there's trouble on the horizon. King, I just can't stay here anymore. I've got to go and I've got to help my people. And that should be the burden that still speaks to us. That we can be happy and we can have joy. But on the same token, I'm also fully aware that I've got family members. Unless God intervenes, I don't know if I'm going to see them on the other side of glory. Uh, there's some that need to be reached with the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's friends and there's neighbors and there's loved ones that are making a wreck of their lives. And unless we do something about it, I know what their future is going to be. Nehemiah said, please, I'm asking. Because of his favor, the king gave him this opportunity. And Nehemiah went back and decided to go to where Jerusalem was, go to where his people were. And when he got there, he saw the discouragement and the depression and the distress in the eyes of the people. They had lost their happiness. They had lost their peace. They had lost their joy. They had lost their thanksgiving. And Nehemiah had to stand and proclaim after he had called the elders together. He said, you know, we don't have to live like this. You don't have to be uh, under the hand of the adversary. You don't have to live in bondage and fear and torment. But we can have a life that is blessed. We can build this city back. We can restore the wall. We can have what we always dreamed about and what we remembered in years gone by. Nehemiah said, it's not over yet if we work together. Huh? There's a plan we've got, to, we've got to follow, a plan from the Lord. I've come with a burden, and this burden from God, it will reach the people if we follow what God has given us. That's what we have to do. We have to follow the plan of God. We can't follow our own emotions. We can't follow our own opinions. We can't follow our own preferences. We got to remember who it is that we're following. Huh? One man said, oh, if preachers would, feel, would just preach what God gave them, not how they feel. What does God say? What is the burden that's on your heart? What's the burden that the Lord's speaking to you about? Because when we try to do it ourselves, that's when we can create chaos. 
when we try to fix it with our own ability and our own accomplishments and our own accolades, it absolutely will not do the job. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and I told you before, our church was in the inner city and a real crime-filled area. And there was a young brother I was working with. His name was Brandon. And so I was over at his house, and I was talking with him, and got a phone call. And the phone call, I answered, and instantly I could tell something was wrong. Somebody had called me, said that the church is being broken into right now. And so I needed to get over there. I said, well, did you call the police? They said, no, we just called you. I said, well, I think you ought to call the police first. <laughs> well, that's all I had to say. And uh, Brother Brandon said, call the police about what? I said, well, somebody's breaking into the church, and so we got to make sure we call pastor and uh, notify the police, and I probably need to get over there. He said, well, hang on. I want to go with you. So I said, okay, but i got to go, and i got to be in a hurry. So I left, I got in the car, wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. Well, finally, about this time, Brother Brandon comes out of his house. He's carrying a baseball bat with him. He jumps into passenger seat. I should have put two and two together, but Brother just wasn't clicking in the moment. So we're driving. We pull around where the church is located. It's night, very dark, and my pastor's elderly in his 80s at the time. So the police hadn't gotten there yet. So I kind of pulled away about a block or so. I said, brother, we're going to just stay right here until the police show up because I don't know what's fixing to happen. Brother, and I look over and the door is open and he had already gotten out. And he started climbing the emergency steel staircase on the back of the church. Have you ever seen something that's like slow motion? You're wanting to do something but it's just not flowing the way you want it to flow. I I just can't believe what I'm watching. I'm watching him climb up the steel staircase. What we didn't know was one of the neighbors looks out their window, and they see this man climbing the steel staircase with a baseball bat. And they called the police and they said, there's a man robbing the church. This is his height. This is what he looks like, the color of his hair, and he's carrying a ball bat. Oh, we about to have a show like you've never seen. About that time, here come the sirens. They pull into the parking lot just behind the police. Here comes my pastor. He gets out, and I could tell he's tired and can't see very good. And I pull in right just not far behind him at all. But by the time I could pull in and get out of the car, the officers are already in, in the front of the church and they had the canines with them and they're beating on the door. They're saying, you got five seconds to come out of the church or we're loosening the dogs. And I'm thinking... I don't know if there's a robber in the church, but I know Brother Brandon is in the church and they're about to loose these dogs on him. So I'm trying my best to get their attention. And finally, about that time, here comes Brother Brand. He's waving this baseball bat. He said, hey, here I am. He hit the ground so hard. That baseball bat went flying. They put his hands behind him, cuffed him up. About that time, my old pastor started walking over. They said, Reverend, do you know who this is? He said, I don't know who that is. Take him to jail. I said, now hang on, Pastor. That's our new convert. 
Sometimes we try to fix it ourselves, ends up going a whole lot worse. And when it comes to the Lord, we can try to do it our way or we can do it God's way. The people didn't really care for Nehemiah's plan so much. But Nehemiah said, look, I know this is not your first choice. And I know this may not be the popular opinion. But if we want to restore God's church, if we want to restore his people, if we want to make Jerusalem proud again, we've got to build this wall back. And we've got to work like never before. And so... They don't quite understand his plan, but they began to work. It's what leads us here to Nehemiah chapter 4. The scripture says that the enemy had come, noticed what the children of Israel were doing. They were restoring this wall. They were bringing the glory back to the city. And Sanballat comes and he begins to speak derogatory remarks. He said, what, what are these people doing? We know all about them. We know all of their past. We know their mistakes. We know their shortcomings. We know everything they've ever done wrong. And look at what they're building. Look at this wall they have built. If a fox would run on this wall, it would fall apart. This is nothing but rubbish. And I find it very strange that he says this is rubbish in verse number 2. Then, in verse number 10, the people say, well, this is rubbish. The enemy started convincing them, you're nothing but rubbish. you got nothing going for you. You've got so many skeletons. you got so many stories. you got so many mistakes, so many faults. You're not smart enough. You're not quick enough. You're not rich enough. You're not big enough. You cannot do what God has told you you can do. And it was then that Nehemiah had to stand back up and say, don't let the adversary tell us that we are rubbish because we may have started out rubbish. In other words, he said, we may have started out as sinners, but brother, we don't end up as sinners. When God is in the program, when God begins to move on our behalf, we can start small, but we end up being great as long as we fight. You got to fight, Nehemiah said. You got to fight for your daughters. You have to fight for your sons. You have to fight for your wives. You have to fight for your families. And in due time, God will take the rubbish that we are working with and he will bring a revival like never before. You know what God loves to do? He loves to take people that have no hope and no future and no plan and no promise. And he forgives them. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. He forgives them of sin and and mistakes and failures and faults. And then he'll raise them up. And then anoint them to be a catalyst to reach others with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And I wonder how many are in this community. I wonder how many wayward sons and daughters. I wonder how many neighbors that are... The enemy says is rubbish, but God says revival. I wonder how many that have made a wreck of their lives, that have done things that you and I would have never done. But when we look and see rubbish, God sees beyond that. God doesn't see rubbish. God sees revival. 
When we look at a world that's divided and hates one another and is so polarized that one can't agree with that one and one doesn't like that one, it may look rubbish from the outside in, but God doesn't look at it like that. Nehemiah said, you may think it's rubbish, but it's not rubbish. As long as we work together, God has a people, God has a church, God has his sons and daughters that he gave his life for. And in due time, we will see a revival like never before. And I wonder today as every head is bowed and every eye is closed as the music is getting ready to come. Today, I challenge you to look Those that are struggling. See those that are going down the wrong path. Those that have really come into a place of chaos. And see a potential in them. There are those that are standing in need right now. That need to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those that are suffering physically. Suffering mentally. And suffering spiritually but God is looking for Nehemiahs that will ra- that will rise up and say I've got a burden for souls I've got a burden for my family I got a burden for my community I got a burden for my county I've got to do more I've got to do more because there are those that need to be saved I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight I know who my audience is this evening. It's those that believe this message. Every dotting of the I and every crossing of the T. I know that you that are sitting on the pews tonight, you believe this with every fiber of your being. Or you'd be somewhere else on a Wednesday night. But I want to try to reach you this evening and try to relay a burden from the Lord. Friend of mine, we are reaching the end. And time is short. And yet there are souls that are still lost. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 8 and 20, the harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. God help us to reach this world with the message of Jesus Christ. God, let there be a fresh bird and come on us tonight. Let there be a fresh bird and that would rise on the inside of our hearts. I've got to reach my co-workers. I've got to reach my friends. I've got to reach those I come in contact with. I've got to share with them about a Jesus that can save them, that can forgive them, and can heal them. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray on today, God, that you would begin to wrap your arms of love around us like never before. God, I pray you would speak to us with a burden. Ha-ha. Anybody that feels a burden from the Lord, a burden for souls, a burden to reach somebody with the saving message of Jesus Christ. Come on, Nehemiah. Come on, Nehemiah. You may not think so, but God has chosen you. God has selected you. God has handpicked you. You will be the one that will help somebody else make it to heaven. Because of you, somebody else will walk down a street of gold and see a gate of pearl and a wall of jasper. He's looking for people that were willing to take 
his burden. Oh, can you stand with me all across the house? Can we just lift our hands high to heaven? Can we raise our voice? Come on, I'm going to pray one more time. And I believe there's going to be a burden that comes on you. If you'll be open, if you're open to it, let me pray for you right now. Father, God, I pray you would speak to us with clarity and distinction. God, I pray that right now there would be a burden that would come from the Lord, a burden for souls that need to be saved. God, I pray this burden would minister. I pray this burden would be like a fire shut up in our bones. God, a burden that we've got to do more. We've got to do all that we can. Jesus, I pray right now, use this church. Use this congregation. Use this precious people like never before. Give them divine favor. Let them walk under the hand of blessing. Give them favor with you, but give them favor with men. Cross our paths with those that need to hear this message. God, fill our words. Fill our mouth. Take over our tongue that we can speak the right words. We can say the right thing. We can do what needs to be done so that somebody can be saved. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.